pet insurance? I don't have a pet. Hey, stranger. It's been a while, but we're back again. I forgot how much I enjoy doing this podcast. Today's a little long, but I'm trying to make up for lost time, I guess. So if you need to, check the show notes for the time marker to skip the fluff. You know, I don't advise that, but if you need to, time crunch and all, go for it. Today, as our guest, we have Michael Pyle, where we're discussing annual benefits enrollment. Hey, settle down now and control your excitement. But really, it's that time of the year when you have to select your employer-provided health insurance and all those other benefits for the upcoming year. PPO, HMO, high deductible, it can be a little overwhelming trying to figure it all out. But you will be excited if this helps you keep more of your money. We break it all down to prepare you for your benefits enrollment, so get ready. As for Michael, he's a financial planner based in the Kansas City metro area in Overland Park, Kansas, and is the owner of Challenge Everything Financial. What's unique about his firm is that he caters to sales professionals since he was once one himself for a number of years. We talk about all that and more. It's been a while, so before we jump into it, I need to remind you this is for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as advice. Now, let's go with Michael Pyle. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Michael E. Pyle, right? What's what's the E stand for? It would be Edward for my... Uh... For my dad's name, but really the only important piece is I, I throw it in there so that when somebody spams me on LinkedIn, I know it's a spam message right away when they say, "Hey, Michael E." So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a spam podcast. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, very cool, man. Um, I'm Kyle E. Hill. Um, if anybody's ever checked my ADV, so um, my middle name's after my father too. So, um, God rest his soul. So, uh, very cool. Well. Uh, Happy to have you on today. It's been a while since I've done one of these, so it's uh, um, kind of a new experience for me again for the second time around. So, but I guess it's uh, kind of like riding a bike, just hop back on, and then uh, they change everything on the back end. So, but um, uh, yeah, happy to have you on. So you're in the Kansas City area, uh, Overland Park, if I if I remember correctly. Yep, that's right. Um, yeah, I came across you on LinkedIn. We're connected to some people and, um, all, uh, a uh, little secret. I hate social media. So, um, <laughs> but I figure I need an outlet to, uh, get these podcasts out. So, uh, I'm on, I'm on the LinkedIn or what did, what did the cool kids call it? The in, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what, what is, what is the, the short for LinkedIn? I, I, man, I, that's good. Uh, Good question. I've never heard it called the end. I've called, I've heard it called Linky before, but uh, maybe we we should call it, call it the end. I like it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, well, uh, so yeah, we're connected with uh, I don't know a handful of folks on there, and um, your your post kept running across my my uh, feed. I guess is what they call it. How old do I sound? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you had some entertaining posts on there. Um, you'd see him and, and you're like, Whoa, what is he talking about here? And then, uh, you have a nice way of flipping it to relating to financial planning. I think, uh, one of the most recent ones I saw is where you were talking about, um, going to a college buddy's wedding and how you saw like somebody puke on themselves <laughs> and, 
Um, and uh, I don't even remember. That's the part that I remember. And then it turns out um, it was it was your uh, your your kid, right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it was a I, I my wife and I decided to for whatever reason take all of our kids to a wedding, knowing that it was probably going to be um, an S show, and it was. And I framed it up to make it seem like it was an old fraternity buddy's wedding. Who you know, I saw somebody lick the walls. I saw somebody, you know, I saw a female crying in the bathroom. I saw somebody pass out of the table. And then I, you know, you read further down and it was my son, the two month old son that passed out of the table. It was my two year old that was found in the bathroom crying um, after we lost her at the wedding reception, which was great. Uh, my four year old decided to lick a wall. I don't, I have no idea. Like any parents out there understand um, how ridiculous your kids get when you want them to be in a more formal, you know, appropriate setting and um, anything but. So yeah, my uh, my five year old also joined in and she grabbed a piece. Like I, I was, you know, putting things off the buffet line on her plate. She's like, oh, I don't want that. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll knowing what she was about to do. I was like, I'll I'll get it later. Picks it up and as I'm telling her, don't. She just throws it back in the buff, like in the in the tin. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like mortified. These people behind me. I'm like, I am so sorry. Like I so. Um, yeah, that, that might be the last uh, last wedding for a while that we bring the kids to. <laughs> if they don't understand yet, they will soon right. if they ever have kids. So it's, yeah. Like, uh, I'm one that's like, dude, don't worry. I've got two of my own. They're monsters. I love them to death, but they're monsters. So not trying to one-up you here, but last night, my uh, younger son, Harrison, um, so I'm the head coach for his baseball team, mm-hmm. um, championship trophy in the background there from last season and a baby uh no big deal no big deal uh so uh we're we're, uh trying to run it back uh like the kansas city Chiefs, right yeah but they were they had a game last night and he was over there playing first base late in the game and before the inning started i saw him go grab something out of the dirt and he was like wiping it off on his pants i'm like what the hell is he doing and then he he goes to stick it back in his mouth, and I shout from the third base uh, dugout. I'm like, "No, sir, don't you dare!" He had dropped his gum in the dirt. He picked it up and he was about to put it back in his uh, mouth. I mean, covered with dirt and just like, "Oh my god!" Uh, so yeah, I, I guess it's better but, than uh, uh, the kitty litter that I used to play on. I feel like as a kid playing baseball, you remember those fields that were yeah. just like. That was for whatever reason better than dirt. It was just tiny little rocks that reminded you of kitty litter. So oh, yeah, yeah. Oof. Oof. soak up the water. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> no rain outs. Just so. constant bloody knees. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I always wear pants. So, yeah. but no, <laughs> but kids steal the show at weddings. All right, so the cute kids, yeah. you know that, you know, two to well, I guess babies all the way up until I don't know. <laughs> five, six, seven, eight years old. So, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, found each other through LinkedIn. So, uh, tell us about yourself. What's, what's, uh, what's going on, man? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give the brief version. I, uh, former, uh, Kansas state wildcat from my undergrad, um, great school, perfect. The school, the only school. Um, and go, uh, go that's right. Um, after graduating, I, uh, was in sales for 
a little over a decade and about halfway through just decided that I wasn't hugely fond of sales, even though I had gotten into healthcare sales thinking, oh, this is the pinnacle. This is where, you know, that's what I've worked to do is get in healthcare sales. And, um, you know, I just never, never went home at night thinking like, oh, I'm just, I feel so fulfilled. Right. So I, um, about that same time, um, a few years after, uh, you know, a few years into my, my career, I, I stumbled across Dave Ramsey. A lot of folks know him as, as um, kind of the financial guru of the world. And he, uh, I listened to his radio show when I was driving for work um, and liked a lot of what he had to say. He helped kind of get me um, out, out of debt, me and my wife, when we first um, got married. But then, you know, realized shortly after that, that his advice fell flat, um, you know, outside of getting out of debt quickly. And we didn't really follow some of his principles anyway. So uh, I, I kind of went looking for other other areas of uh, other folks who you know had had advice beyond kind of the debt portion, which is I, I think he's you know his that's probably his best advice is kind of on on debt, and even that is you know there's still nuance there that, that probably should be talked about. Um, it shouldn't really be generalized for millions of people. Um, but I stumbled across the financially independent retire early community, so fire the fire movement, got really into that, um, yeah. and. Um, it really wasn't that long ago that I kind of pulled back a little bit from the, like, gotta save as much money as I can and cut the, cut the corporate cord at, at, you know, I was, I was shooting for my mid forties, 46 to be exact. And, um, learned through that time that it's not about necessarily, uh, retiring as, as fast as possible and being able to be financially independent. It's what can I do between now and that age 46 that helps me close the gap and be happy and fulfilled along the way, because, my wife is really good at, at reminding me that, look, we like you get one life, right? So you're telling me that, you know, you're at that, at that stage of the game, I was 30, 31 years old. You're telling me that for 15 years, 15 really good years, right? When in your early thirties to mid forties, those are, those are fanta- a fantastic time. I'm about halfway through it. And it's like, I was going to basically give up, you know, being able to be happy, but because I was so entrenched with just working for the man, saving every buck and, and, finally being happy in my mid forties. And I think transitioning to an area of financial planning, which is what I'm passionate about. That was um, this past year that I've, I've, I've been in it has been fantastic. And it's one of the reasons why I, I would really challenge anybody to go after what they actually are, you know, enjoy, because I, I think if you enjoy it, other people enjoy it, meaning you can probably make money off of it. Um, it's going to look a little different for everybody, but I would rather have somebody work a job that they love and make half of their income than work a job that they don't really like or maybe even hate, um, even if they're making a tremendous amount of money. There's ways to reduce your income and still live very a very nice life. And uh, one of the re- ways that I love um, being able to talk through it with you know my financial planning clients and getting them to follow what they truly are passionate about. So that's my that's my uh, probably a slightly longer version of, of my story, but um, but yeah, man, it's it's been a fun ride and um, enjoy the you know just like meeting you. It's the financial planning community. It's um, the, the the true financial planners, not the sale the 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 uh, the fake advisors who are just salesmen in disguise. Um, the, the the true financial planning community is is a great one, and I'm I'm very happy to be a part of it. We have a good time. We have a good time. So. Um... You mentioned K State, so sport my my purple. Um, it's K State Friday. I don't I don't do Red Friday. I do Purple Friday um, when there's K State games on Saturday. So uh, sorry, Chiefs fans, I'll wear my red on Sunday. But, um, 
Yeah. So you went to K State. I think we were there about the same time. Um, we were talking about this uh, offline uh, when we spoke earlier. What was your your favorite place in Manhattan? Uh, I mean, you you know, we we while we were probably there at the same time, you probably didn't see me as much on campus as in Aggieville. Um, I mean, partly because I worked there, partly because I worked there, but I um, I I went there a lot too. So I, I did probably too, way too much, you know, partying. Definitely not enough studying in my undergrad. Um, but honestly, I think my case of experience, uh, it was it was really it was a really good experience because of the fraternity I joined. It was called Theta Xi and most people probably think of, oh, like, of course you party a lot because you're in fraternity. The funny thing is our fraternity was was always top two, top three in grades, um, did really well. Yeah. But yeah, we partied and, and everything, but uh, I was probably one of the, I would say, I don't, I don't have the, the stats, but I would say I was probably the last or second to last in grades, like <laughs> quite a bit when I was there, um, just immature. And, and um, but I met a lot of good friends. I mean, just the wedding that we talked about a few minutes ago, it was a a fraternity buddy of mine and, and uh, we still hang out. We're still in fantasy football league together. We uh, it's, it's cool seeing nice. everybody grow up and, and have kids and get in. I am friends with just some rock stars. When you think of like the professional world, I've got a lot of engineering friends who are leading their firms or, or moving up the chain really fast. I've got um, an optometrist friend. I've got uh, accounting friends, doctors. I mean, just, they they were they were a definitely a better influence on me than I was of them. Uh, but I it was a really enjoyable experience just because of that tight that tight knit um, group of friends that I that I got in, in college. Absolutely, absolutely. We're in uh, different fraternities, so I was in SAE. Am in SAE. Uh, I guess you are one for life, right? Um, but yeah, no. Um, I did my share of partying, and uh, I would say that the fraternity kind of changed me around on that because. Um, I knew if I didn't get the great, when I was young, dumb freshman, you know, all I wanted to do was, was party and whatnot, but, um, and be part of the fraternity. Um, but, uh, I came to the realization if I wanted to be a part of the fraternity, I had to be in school. And so it kind of shifted my mentality and, uh, because I, I was just kind of going to school to go to school because it was kind of the next thing to do. Right. Not because I necessarily had a plan. (laughs) of what I wanted to do. I was a general studies for uh, like my first three years and then I, or two years and then became a business management major because I figured it's a generalized thing, business, it can be applicable to anything, right? Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, no, it it, uh, um, got me to focus on my academics, um, got me engaged with the community. I ended up uh, joining um, uh, the Greek council. Um, I was on IFC is of all things, the director of recruitment, which I don't, I don't know why, but, um, (laughs) small pool. (laughs) So, um, but, uh, got to meet a lot of, um, other great individuals in the Greek system still friends with today. Um, actually my buddy, Paul Kaufman, he's actually on the homepage of my website and he was from a a different fraternity, but we were on, um, IFC together. So, um, but yeah, and we, we have, um, a, uh, a college fantasy football league actually. So he's in it. And then uh, a couple of my fraternity brothers that, um, everybody's heard mentioned before Marshall and David, uh, Bullcock, uh, they have, uh, the Rochester it's a brewery slash roastery slash event space down in the crossroads. They opened up a new location, um, in old Parkville in the old train. 
about a year ago. Um, and, uh, and so it's, you know, we, we do the fantasy football league, uh, I'm the commissioner for that. It's <laughs> one of those, uh, things that, uh, it's like Christmas for me, um, draft day. So, so far we're, we're one to know, hopefully we'll, I, well, no, not in that league. I'm, I'm not in that <laughs> league, so. don't want to talk about it. Uh, this week's a new week. So anywho, but, um, but, uh, K state, we're, uh, um, going to the Mizzou game tomorrow, actually. Oh, nice. So, um, this is going to be my first time going to Columbia. Wait, is that a, so is that I'm kind of, excited. is that an 11 o'clock game? It's an 11 o'clock game. And Early. so I saw where you, um, on your website where you had mentioned you're growing a pickleball team out of your family. <laughs> so, um, kind of funny story here. So my wife's, uh, one of her best friends, um, her husband works for chicken and pickle. And uh, they invited us to go on the chicken and pickle bus tomorrow to the Mizzou game because oh, there's yeah. a lot of Mizzou alum. And so we've got to leave at like seven o'clock in the morning. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. But uh, it's going to be like a bunch of yellow and then us two purple people. <laughs> so so I'm sure we'll make lots of friends. So you get to you get to like you get a ride all the way there back. And like, that's it. Yeah. I'm like Marshawn Lynch, all right? I'm just here so I don't get fined, right? I'm doing what I'm told, what the boss is telling me to do. We're going to the game, so I'm going. So I think we're supposed to get back tomorrow evening. That's awesome. Um, So, yeah, Uh, we'll see see how this goes. Um, um, But, yeah, tell me about uh, pickleball. How did you get into that? I did the first chicken and pickle at least I think that the first one that was open in Kansas city was, uh, in North Kansas city, like two, three yeah. minutes away from, uh, Cerner headquarters. And that was <clears throat> where I worked for a, a brief stint and sales, uh, for about three years. And I, we had oh, team yeah. events and just, you know, a couple of times I, I just have, you know, buddies, colleagues that would, would, would go play pickleball. And I hadn't played for, you know, uh, at that point, I guess over a decade. I mean, I played a little bit in high school, got introduced to it by our, you know, our PE teacher and man, it's, I love pickleball. Cause I, the funny thing is I'm terrible at, uh, ping pong. I'm terrible at tennis, but I feel like it's almost like a combination <laughs> of those two. Right. Like, so, uh, but I feel like I'm decent with, with pickleball mostly because probably not near as good as I was even seven, eight years ago, but I can move a little bit. Um, I, I'm not great at like hitting it perfectly. You know, that you play with like a 45, 50 year old, those guys will smoke you and they won't even, they'll stay feet planted on the ground because they just know how to hit it. But I enjoy yeah. the, the movement back and forth. So yeah, my website, I jokingly said that I, uh, building out a team of pickleball players, uh, with, with my kiddos, but I do, we've got a, a tennis court down the street from us. I told my wife, I was like, assuming we still here or still here in four or five years, um, is they've kind of like all tennis courts these days, they've kind of converted it to pickleball. I, I definitely, uh, want to get my, my kiddos involved in, in pickleball because I think it's just a fun, I could see it being a very fun family sport. Yeah. Yeah. They say it's a sport for the olds. Um, but, uh, man, I, when it, we first played when chicken and pickle open, I about blew out my knee going after a ball, <laughs> man. It's, it's kind of what you put into it. It can be as chill as you want, or you can be as intense as you want. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so. I, I, cool. I would say uh, it, it was intense for me when I went for a team outing. My team at that point, I was new to the team and I was in full on jeans 
and we played and I, I get too competitive and I definitely dove for a ball and ripped my jeans in the, in the knee. So yeah, <laughs> You're that yeah guy. I uh, got a little into it. So <laughs> oh, Donnie's out of his element. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Um, so you have four kiddos. Yep. Four kiddos. Yeah. Um, five, well, be six here in a couple of weeks. Um, six basically four and a half two and a half and two months so it's uh busy at our house uh, at all times yeah uh, they're out at a place called urban air if you're familiar with that it's a, oh, yeah. a great establishment that i feel like is perfect for young kids uh, to get all of their energy out so they actually go to bed on time or early and have a good night's sleep so my wife uh, has them there so i've got the house to myself because um, they're all I left school today for one reason or another. So, um, yeah. 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 We, we have a two hour early release today. I'm like, why every Wednesday we have an hour release early. Hmm. Um, and yeah, we're fighting with my son cause normally we make him a walker on Friday, the kids walkers on Fridays. Um, and, uh, it's a Friday, uh, but it's a two hour early release and normally they do kid zone. And so he was, uh, not happy about being a walker today. So <laughs> yeah, fun stuff. Um, but okay. So then we're on a timeline here. Then you gotta, gotta get done before the kids get <laughs> <Right>? back. Um, <laughs> hangry for lunch. So, well, tell us, tell us about, uh, your firm challenge, everything financial. So talk about the name there. Where, what, uh, how'd you come up with that name? And, um, you mentioned you focus on individuals and sales roles. So, um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I, uh, with the name, I think with any, I'm sure you, you probably had several versions of your name at, at the beginning. Uh, like any proud business owner, you know, you spend probably too much time trying to figure out a name. I, I would text myself ideas every so often when I thought of them and the, the, that's how I keep yeah. my notes. Um, and I, I, I texted myself, challenge everything financial, and I really liked it. And then I would keep coming back to it. And I was like, there's nothing that beats that. Because to me, it was um, not throwing shade at your name, because I think it works with anybody. But um, I really liked the fact that my name wasn't included. And it was it was more of like a mentality versus, you know, uh, MP, you know, financial planning or whatever. I, I, I wanted to um, it was almost like for me, really, right? Like my life got tremendously better once I started challenging the status quo um, on, on a lot of things. So to me, it's kind of a twofold um, thing where challenge everything, meaning like if you start challenging things and challenging the status quo, you're likely going to find some really cool things if you take the time. But I also, it's also kind of a knock towards what I kind of view as majority of the financial and insurance industries where there's a lot of crap that goes on and a lot of, uh, in my opinion, even though I, I cater uh, to salespeople there, I don't like when um, folks are in it, basically a sales role, but they call themselves a financial advisor. So the challenge, everything financial could also look at challenge, everything financial, because you, you do get to make sure um, I always say verify, then trust, not trust, but verify, because there's a lot of snakes out there and, whether they are themselves or their company kind of forces them into this, um, you know, maybe unattainable quota where they're trying to sell you a product as a, as a consumer and you don't necessarily, it's not truly in the best interest. So, um, it's, it's, it's kind of a twofold answer, um, 
uh, on the on the name. And then as far as like servicing sales folks, that was an easy one. Uh, I, you know, I spent a decade plus in sales prior to becoming a financial planner. Uh, salespeople are awesome. Like I've enjoyed every single team I've been on. I mean, yeah, sure. There's a couple people, you know, maybe here or there that I wasn't f- fond of, but for the most part, I loved every sales team, um, and every sales team member and great people. They make really good money. Uh, most advisors are going after the doctors and lawyers and that type of thing. And I'm like, there's a huge need. Um, and I, I've experienced this need through working on sales teams. Like sales folks make really good money, but they also can spend even more money because salespeople, they're competitive. They're com- like uh, competitive can also mean, hey, they, they like to kind of flaunt what they've done, um, and, and which is fine to a degree. But you also, to me, I want folks to take care of their own household first, their four walls before kind of showing the world what, what they've done, because there will come a time that you will miss your quota. Um, you get fired for whatever, um, you hate your, you know, you hate your company that you work for, you hate your boss, maybe your product is, you know, uh, I work in software sales, so they call it vaporware. It's essentially a software that doesn't actually do what we say it does. Um, when you come to the table and you see that, that, that can be a potential outcome, uh, how do you get out? Well, the way you get out is through a a strong financial base. You have to have some sort of savings investment um, arm of, of your uh, of your financial life. Otherwise, you're going to kind of feel stuck because you have to get that next paycheck. You're living truly that paycheck to paycheck. And and you probably talked to plenty of people. I've talked to plenty who, um, you know, make $200,000 plus a year and they don't have hardly anything saved where if they got cut, they would be in a world of hurt. I, I worked with a guy who was next to me in my cubicle and he was the best salesman I've ever worked with. He was on a, on a phone call with me, uh, not with me on a phone. And I was listening in. I used to listen to his sales calls cause he just was that good. I learned so much from him, but he was on a phone call one day at work and he was ne- trying to negotiate interest rates with a credit card. And it, 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 on people's sales teams, you know, everyone's quotas because it's very out in the open. You, you kind of, we have a leaderboard, you know what people get paid. Yeah. This individual was set to make over $400,000 that year. And I just, it was just like a aha moment. Like it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much money it looks like somebody makes. There is a lot of need for a financial planner in a different, a lot of different uh, um, areas. And that was just a big, uh, one of the biggest aha moments I'll probably ever have in my life from a financial standpoint, um, because it, it made me that, that, that was probably, you know, subconsciously one of the reasons why I landed on serving sales folks, because there, there is a huge need that is just not being filled at the moment. And I would help fill that and help people, um, come to a much better conclusion than what they probably would be without somebody, you know, like, a, like me, um, in their corner. And they, they have kind of the unique challenge of, um, of variable income where it's not guaranteed steady um, one month and then one month to the next, you can have your highs and your lows. And so planning for that. And then um, like you said, uh, they can make a lot of money. Uh, they can spend a lot of money. And if they don't have a good base and, you know, shit hits the fan, um, they're in a world of hurt if they haven't, you know, properly built up, you know, an emergency savings account, that sort of thing. Um, you know, based on what I've seen. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, very good. What, um, how, how, um, 
just given the kind of economic environment we're in, how is with sales folks, are you, are they feeling a pinch or, um, not really? What, what are you feeling? What's the sentiment you're getting with the way the economy is? And maybe I can use this to hedge my bets here on, on trading. Uh, where we had it. You know, I, I, I think sales, they're, they're no different probably than most people. Um, you know, you see the headlines and, and the layoffs and everything sales folks, um, they may be earlier to understand that because they can, you know, um, I follow a lot of sales folks on, on LinkedIn and other avenues where I try to stay ingrained in the community because I've served the community. I want to know what's going on. And a lot of them for sure, um, have, they felt the pinch of, well, not only are there layoffs coming, but the, the, um, especially like the, the venture capital money, the private, like that, that money's not flowing as freely as it was a couple of years ago. And people can tell that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you can absolutely see people, um, not hitting their quota nearly as often. And, uh, you know, I, I just spoke with a sales guy yesterday and he's doing fine, doing fine. But, uh, I think he actually has already exceeded his quota for the year, but, he still mentioned, he goes, you know, I see, I see what's going on and I don't know, is that going to be me? And I think it's a very valid question that anybody sales or, or not, not sales. Um, it's, it's a tricky environment, you know, nobody can predict what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but, uh, the best way to feel comfortable is to, to again, build out your, you know, take care of your four walls first. Don't take it. Don't care. Don't take care of anybody else's. Um, and, and I always use the phrase, uh, you know, don't use your commissions to fund somebody else's commissions uh, when I work with sales folks, because it's, it's a reminder, like, look, you worked hard, you busted your butt to get paid a commission. Don't go blow it somewhere and, and help somebody else out before you help your, you know, your, yourself out first. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And I, I think it's, um, we'll see. I don't know if you have thoughts on it, but I, I, it's, 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 it's a tricky world out there, right? It, it, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I've got a couple clients in sales, um, and you know, they've, you know, some have had to take uh, uh, pay cuts across the company. Um, maybe that's you know specific to the sector, um, but also thinking about it from a business standpoint, you know, sales are the lifeblood of the company, and so are those going to be the first people to go? Probably not, but they're probably seeing it firsthand of they're seeing the early indicators of, you know, things slowing down. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you need those people to, to get your product out there. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. But uh, so one of your LinkedIn posts, people trust people with beards. <laughs> is that, is that a thing? <laughs> I read uh, a, I don't even know how, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, I don't, I don't honestly, I can't remember how long ago it was that I, I read a study that um, obviously men, sales folks who have beards were trusted um, a higher percentage of the time. And I used that, <laughs> that study and then posted a bunch of idiotic pictures of myself uh, back when I lived in a house full of old fraternity, but before I got married and, and, and my spouse and kids lived here, it was uh, a bunch of my buddies lived here and I randomly after, you know, a couple natty lights on a Saturday afternoon said, Hey, like, will you take pictures of me acting like a lumberjack? And so I took a tiny little hatchet and, um, with my beard and red flannel, we took a few, 
a few fun pictures and um, never would have thought that to this day, that has been my best performing LinkedIn post of all time. Um, and actually nice. turned into um, turned into business, which is hilarious. I told my buddy who took pictures, I was like, I, I guess I owe you like some some money for your photography because uh, that turned into business for whatever reason. I It had little to do, I don't think anything to do with financial planning. I made a joke about having a beard during sales and that obviously resonated with people. So um, yeah, just awesome. had some fun. It was it was it was a solid beard. Oh, yeah. I, I, it, it was solid. So it's funny because I did an internship um, when I was in college for the Springfield Cardinals down in Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Um, you know that's what I wanted to do in life. I wanted to play sports, and obviously that didn't work out. And so the next best thing, oh, go work in sports. Um, so I did an internship, and when I was down there, um, the VP I was interviewing with him. He's like, we're going to bring you down here, but you're going to shave that beard because when you have a beard, people think you have something to hide. So <laughs> interesting, interesting. Wow. I can go back to him now and say, no, actually people trust beards yeah. or I was just ahead of the times. So <laughs> maybe. maybe. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you the, uh, <laughs> I'll shoot you the study for verification. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to talk about annual benefits enrollment today. I know we're 30 minutes in already, 32 minutes in already, uh, 30 minutes in. Um, depending how I, how I splice this. Um, but, uh, before we dive into annual benefits enrollment, we're going to do the famous, infamous, notorious 15 minutes of fluff. You ready for it? Sure. <laughs> All right. So first question, this is a layup. Um, what's your favorite soda pop? Actually, actually, this isn't a layup. What's your favorite soda or pop? Which is and which is the preferred terminology? Which is the correct terminology? Is it soda or is it? Pop? I mean, it's it's a hundred percent pop. Um, no, no question. That's actually the easier question, I think. Uh, man, I either either DP or, or Pepsi. Um, I don't. I don't. Okay. Oh, you know what? No, neither. Wild cherry Pepsi. That's my favorite. I don't drink a lot of pop, but um, wild cherry Pepsi. That'll that that's it right there. So mine, um, I don't drink a whole lot of soda either, um, but my wife, uh, so this is the second podcast um, that I've recorded at the new house. Um, first one that I'm actually going to post, we have the missing episode. This will be episode 23. Everybody will be like, where's episode 22? <laughs> um, it's a, it's a miss. This is the last episode. Maybe I'll post it in the future, but uh, with a little explainer there. Um, but uh, so first first podcast I posted in this house, uh, um, we moved uh, about a little over a year ago, uh, but my wife is now working from home and she stocks the shelves with Diet Pepsi. And so on occasion I sneak one, um, but then I was asked to go pick up more Diet Pepsi at the uh, store and found myself grabbing the Pepsi Zero. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with Pepsi Zero as my soda of choice. I don't care. Soda pop, whatever. What, what, wait, I, I got to know what, what's, what's, what's the deal with soda? I feel like pop is, is, is this area, is, isn't it? Different areas of the country call it different. Like Texas calls it Coke. I thought we called it pop. Somebody else calls it soda. I don't, I don't know. I'm, um, I guess politically incorrect. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, soda pop. I'm, I'm fine with either. Um, 
but I know that's kind of like a hot button issue for people. So <laughs> had to ask. Um, all right. So next question, we might divert on this a little bit. So uh, what is the largest sale you've ever made as a sales professional? Um, or counter to that, what is the shittiest thing you've had to sell before? Pardon my French. Yeah. Um, French is... Feel free to speak freely. Though. French is... is, is uh, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to, to French. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give you both if that's all right. I'll make them fast. The, the largest sale absolutely. I ever made was a, uh, an IV pump. An intravenous pump sales. So I resold it at when I was at Cerner and it was sold to uh, Carolina uh, Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, which they now are uh, Atrium Health, I believe. But um, that was one I was very proud of. And it was uh, 17 million um, in IV pump. And then there was that was like the hardware cost. And I, I honestly, like it's, I clearly probably should have written it down, but I, there was a software component to it that was, I want to say another two, three, four million as well. So um, that was the largest by far. And the hideous thing I ever sold, uh, I won't I won't go into detail just because the, the product is still out there and, and maybe it's fixed. Hopefully it's, hope to God it's fixed. But um, I worked for a company who, did you ever, did you ever hear about Bad Blood, Fair House? Elizabeth Holmes. Have you heard of that story? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. My, my wife was kind of obsessed, obsessed with that. Watch the documentaries, whatnot. Yeah. She was really following that. So I, I didn't, but I knew about it. Yeah. It's, uh, she's in prison right now, right? 11 years or something like that. No, I, I don't know if she's actually in prison. I know she got convicted and, and she was supposed to go. I don't know if she's, uh, actually in or not. She's trying to squeak out. Yeah. Of it. Right. Um, yeah, uh, fascinating story. Like, if anyone wants a good book, Bad Blood, um, by I think John Carreyu is the is the author, is a fantastic okay. book. Like, it was one of the best books I've ever read. Um, he he's a Wall Street Journal, a Wall Street journalist, and he took the story and and then he wrote wrote a book because there was obviously just so much there. And I remember I'm in bed reading it, and I just. I I say holy shit, and I look at my wife. I'm like, I think I'm working at the next Theranos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> I'm working at this company, and it um, again. I, I won't go into detail because I, I hope to God that they fixed it. And um, I think with time it was going to get better. But we, this, the, the sales team, sold it as this like artificial intelligence backed system. We found out about a year and a half, two years in. Oh, this is an artificial intelligence. This is some person who is basically sh like um, feigning results uh, by doing it by hand. It's not, this isn't artificially intelligent. This is an artificial intelligence. And I remember oh. it was terrible. And it, it's one of those things, I think um, the vaporware, what I mentioned earlier, that is the epitome of vaporware. And I think if you talk to enough sales folks, especially ones who sell software, um, you, you, you'll hear that term, but you'll also, Probably here, um, if you talk to enough of them, there's probably a decent percentage of sales folks who realize that they are selling something that isn't what they necessarily say it is. And the hope, um, at least in my experience as a salesperson, the hope is that even if there's, uh, you know, the core offering is is legit, maybe some of the features are not quite there, but uh, you're almost taught to like sell on the feature part 
and to where you get enough revenue from that company that they will bake that into it. You, it's almost like a chicken or egg um, where you have to, you, you, you must have to like get the revenue for them to hire more developers to like, software is a very weird business. Um, I don't agree with how it's sold personally. Uh, I, I never liked it. It never felt right in sales. Probably one of the reasons I didn't go home at night feeling fulfilled. Um, uh, yeah. But it's, it, yeah, it, um, yeah, that was the, that was the, that was the crappiest, um, at least crappiest experience. I, the product probably, I would hope by now as much better and truly does what it says it does. Um, but back then it was not fun. It was not fun to feel like, uh, I feel like I'm scamming. We are scamming these people. And I, I stopped trying at that point. That was luckily the same time that I was involved in getting uh, a master's degree in financial planning and looking for other jobs. And I kind of stopped cold calling. I kind of gave up on the company for obvious reasons. Um, cause yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that. Um, I always, I always sucked at sales. Um, just, and I think part of that is there was nothing that I was selling that I was ever really passionate about or felt good about. Um, so I don't have a great sales, <laughs> um, uh, story. Um, but as far as like worst sales, that was probably, um, my first job out of college. I won't, I won't mention the name, but, uh, um, rhymes with thunder. Um, but, uh, I was doing, um, sales of all sorts, um, ticket sales, corporate sales. Um, and I just didn't agree with how they were pitching things, you know, uh, when it's like, where's the, you know, data to back this up in your sales proposal. It's like, well, just make it up. Like, uh, that doesn't seem very honest <laughs> or ethical. So, um, yeah. And you reach a point where it's like, okay, I got to get the hell out of here. And you stop making calls and you're focused on finding the next thing that you're going to do. Um, hoping that you don't get fired before you, do, before that happens. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, fortunately it all worked out, um, on to better things. And so. So, um, seventeen million dollar sale. Um, okay, so we know why health and health uh, health plans go up in price. No, yeah, just right. Um, but uh, what what's one thing that you would change about employer benefits? Since we're talking about annual mm. enrollment, you know, I came from employee benefits right before jumping into financial planning, um, and they are incredibly important but incredibly confusing. And I think some groups do a good job of, uh, you know, educating their employees. I think most leave a lot to be desired. I, I, um, and I know some companies do a really good job of at least attempting and trying, you can't force anybody to sit down and like go through it, but it's such an easy, low hanging fruit. Like every client of mine, let's look at your employee benefits. I, I could almost guarantee mm -hmm. you there is hidden money that you are not taking advantage of. So I, I think even though it's maybe cliche and, and some, and somewhat already done, absolutely more education is needed. Um, because it's just, yeah, it's just, it's hidden money and it's offered. It's part of your pack, like your total overall package as an employee, your company's already bought into doing, you know, X thing for you. So take advantage of it. And I think the, 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 what needs to change, and I don't know how to how to do this, but think about when people 
sign up for employee benefits, it's the first week that you're on the job. Well, for sales, at least, I never cared about employee benefits. What's my quota? Where's my territory? Tell me about the product. I want to hear the elevator pitch. How, how do I how do I leverage this to get more commission? I don't care about what health insurance plan. Like I I never well maybe not never but for a long time did not care about employee benefits. It was a check the box, fill it out as fast as possible thing. It, that that cannot be yeah. how employee benefits are chosen. And, and at least I'll speak for sales professionals. I I would imagine most of them are like like me. They don't the employee benefits. It's an admin task and salespeople absolutely hate admin tasks. But I don't like filling out expense reports. I don't like filling out employee benefits. Anything that's going to take me away from potentially making a sale and hitting hitting my quota, making a commission, uh, I, I don't like doing. So to me, that's uh, you know outside of the sales world. For everybody else, I think it's the same thing. You're getting a lot of things thrown at you all in that first week. Mm-hmm. And it, while some companies may be able to sit down and walk you through it, most of them, you're, you're, you're filling that out at night maybe. Um, and most of the time, if you've got two income, you know, two spouses, and they both have employee benefits, how many people do you know that that take out an Excel spreadsheet and put together like, hey, what would be best between each of our employee benefits, right? Like almost nobody does that. So there's a ton of opportunity uh, for folks if they just took the time or, or outsourced it to, you know, a, a solid financial planner who's that, that's part of their, um, you know, value prop is to be able to walk them through employee benefit selection. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, they give you a short time window of your benefits enrollment and who knows what's going on in your life right then. You might be, you know, super busy with the kids, work, something, and it gets put on the back burner and you end up doing it like the day of that it's due or like the night before and uh, guilty as yeah, charged. Yeah, right. Me too. Um, but I, you know, I... You know, I piggyback off my wife's, you know, employee benefits, um, that, so I don't have to, you know, do my own that sort of thing, right? Um, so it, it's easier from that regard. But yeah, certainly getting out, you know, um, if a married couple getting out the benefit options, and then they don't always ha- overlap at the same time, and so then True. it's kind of a guessing game, and you're going off of, well, what were their benefits last year, and so it's. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a larger time window that you have to do employee benefits enrollment. Um, I hate to say, you know, have a, a federal law of, you know, it's got to be in this time range. I don't I don't like that. But um, yeah, there's definitely, you know, a lot of times, especially when you're younger. Um, I went with a high deductible plan because it was the cheapest thing, not knowing not really comprehending, understanding like, oh, hey, you know, there's going to be uh, more upfront cost if I have to go to the doctor, you know, then compared to like a traditional plan, uh, PPO plan or something like that. And so um, it's kind of one of those things that gets glossed over, but very important, really affects your financial life. And um, I remember when I was at UMB going through the benefits um, educational onboarding process. I think it was employee onboarding and they lump in benefits in that. And it's, um, I remember, uh, the woman that was leading, it was saying that, you know, the high deductible plan with the HSA makes you more of a consumer of healthcare. And I'm like, okay. Um, but I can't help you decide what's right for you. Right. It's like, I can't tell you, you know, what's right for your situation, but here's your options. And so like having somebody to walk you through it and advise you on like, 
think about this. Like you go to the doctor very often and, you know, just those little things of, well, how this might make sense for you. So, um, yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, I'm a baseball guy. I coach little kids baseball. Um, and, uh, we're Royals fans. It's tough. Um, you mentioned when we were talking earlier that you were into baseball, mm-hmm. you played growing up or, uh, yeah. Um, uh, up until freshman year of high school was my last year. Um, my dad coached me until seventh grade and our team kind of broke up because people kind of joined other teams. And I, th- okay. I think that was when my love of baseball kind of started to kind of go down. And then my freshman year, the varsity coach was, he ran it like a, uh, like an army, you know, boot camp that I just, I was like, this isn't fun anymore. This is, I don't like, um, I, I would have never been able to play at a, an elite level, like a higher level, just because I know they, most teams probably like, it's not really as much fun as it is a job at that point. But I, baseball was my, by far my sport that I was best at as well as sport that I loved the most. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'll, at some point, maybe 20 years down the line, I'll start watching baseball again. I used to watch it all the time as a kid, but now I okay. gravitated towards towards football. But um, yeah, soft spot in my heart for, for baseball for sure. Well, they make it tough. You uh, <laughs> yeah. can't get it on like YouTube TV. You have to, <laughs> uh, streaming has made things tougher, Yeah, it seems like. Um, but did you play any other sports? I did. Um, I did basketball for a couple of years, uh, up until sophomore year of, of high school. And, um, and then football was the one I, I went the furthest on. I played it uh, all the way through my senior year of, of high school. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I played football and then my thing was wrestling. So uh-huh. you went to Aquinas, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You had, you had some, some wrestlers that were pretty good at Aquinas. I'm trying to think of Gabe Conahan is yeah, that... that's man, that's a blast from the past. I don't, I, I definitely yeah. know that name for sure. Yeah, there are a couple others, but I remember that name particular in particular. So yeah, um, he was he was pretty good. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so getting back to baseball, um, what uh, I like to do this with everybody. Um, mind changes all the time, but uh, if you you were to have a walk up song, what would your walk up song be? Oh man. Well, based on what I do in my uh, in my office, which is in my basement, and when I'm bored or need to get pumped up, I listen to LMFAO. So I'll go with uh, "Sexy and I Know It" LMFAO. <laughs> nice, nice. That was mine on uh, I think my second episode with Mike Summer. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's a fun one, man. That's a fun what's one. uh what what what's yours now? All right, so mine varies, right? Okay. Um, but recently, um, I heard the Chris Stapleton song "White Horse." White Horse on White Horse, okay. yeah. Um, and so uh, um, I've I've heard it on uh, X satellite radio. My wife has satellite radio, and I recently heard it. I don't know if it's an older song or a new song, okay. but um, there's a certain part in it where it breaks. And there's um, an instrumental instrument. God, I can't talk today. Uh, kind of hard for a podcast. Uh, but there's an instrumental portion for like I don't know three to five seconds, and then it just goes white horse.
Um, he sings it better than I do. Um, imagine that. But uh, yeah, I, I'm like, that'd be pretty sweet. You just get this music leading up to it as you're walking up to the plate. And then he sings White Horse. And it's uh. like you're you know, coming in to save the day. Um, I actually, so I've got this, uh, uh, walk up song. They didn't have this when we were kids. Um, but I've got this app for, uh, uh, youth baseball for walk up songs. Oh, that's awesome. And so, <laughs> so I, um, I started doing it for my oldest team when they, so the league that we play in because they stream on YouTube, mm-hmm. um, they live stream on YouTube. We're not allowed to do walk up songs or anything like that. But when we play in tournaments, um, we can usually do them. And so we'll, we'll take, a um, like a portable, uh, speaker yep. and play walk-up songs for the kids. They love it. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Um, and so I, I put this together. So then for my draft that I did for my church league, um, we did in person and for every time I drafted, I have a walk-up song <laughs> where it says now drafting Kyle Hill. And then it plays white horse. They all hated me. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah, that's probably what I go with right now. I'd say the best walk-up song that I've heard. Um, I, I like how they got the the crowd into it, but we were at a Rockies game a few years ago. We go up to Estes Park. I was actually just paying my uh, toll fee um, for driving on the, what is that, the 470 or something in uh, in Denver. They uh, find you. They take pictures of your license plate and then mail you an invoice. It's it is so expensive. Thirteen forty five for driving like Jeez. twenty miles on their interstate. Um, pay for use, I guess. Uh, but uh, uh, we went to a Rockies game. They played the Padres and Charlie Blackman. Um, he uh, his song is um, the outfield. Or it was at the time. It was the outfield. Um, Lose your love. You, you remember that song? No, I'm sure I would um, know it if I heard it. Josie's on a vacation. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they he walks up to that, and then they cut it out, and the whole crowd sings. Oh. Um, they fill in the the lyrics. I mean, it's great. That's awesome. It's, how they've done that so it's, it was fun it's fun so awesome okay so let's let's get into annual benefit enrollment you survived you survived these five team minutes of fluff since we're about an hour in already so um again people can skip the fluff if they want to uh it's ill-advised but um so annual benefit enrollment so we're steadily approaching this um so normally happens between October, November, uh, for some people, it might go into December. I don't know um, if I've seen anybody that uh, theirs has started in September or not. Um, but it, it's usually about a two to four week period where you get to <clears throat> select your employee benefits for the upcoming year. And so it's unless you have a, uh, a qualifying life event or change, you know, change jobs is a qualifying life event, but um, unless you have a qualifying life event, uh, you're stuck with those for the year, essentially. And so I felt like it was kind of an important topic for us to touch on um, as we're approaching it and people are thinking about it. And, um, you know, we've already kind of talked about, you know, the things that we change or why it's such a pain in the ass. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah, let's, I mean, any initial thoughts on annual enrollment as we get ready to start it and we'll kind of dive into, um, some benefits that people are going to probably see from their employers, um, and, and some options and maybe help guide them on how to think about when they're enrolling in these uh, different options, what makes the most sense for them. I mean, I, I, we kind of touched on it earlier, but I mean, just to bring it back, I think if, if you've got a spouse and you're lucky enough to have employee benefits like open enrollment at the same time or close to the same time, it'd be great to a great idea to compare those benefits. Some of them have restrictions where, um, you know, if, if, if your other spouse uh, like offers employee benefits, they have to take it, they can't combine. So uh, you do have to follow some overarching rules, but ultimately I think take it seriously. I mean, this is, and, and, and don't, don't think of it so much as like potentially hidden money. Think of it as, hey, this is an extra date night or two that we can pay for because of, of these costs that we're now saving that um, through our employee benefits. I, everyone looks at the salary or for salespeople, they look at the commission percentage, um, but employee benefits, you know, there there could be $1,000 in extra savings. There could be five, ten thousand $10,000 in extra savings depending on, you know, um, on your situation. So uh, it, take it seriously because there's a lot of uh, easily a four figure amount of, of, of hidden money if you don't choose properly. Everyone's going to choose, fill out the bubble sheet, check the box. Are you choosing the most optimized way? That that's what you got to that's what you got to sit down and actually take the time to do. Yeah, I think people see oh this is a hundred dollars per pay period or a hundred fifty dollars per pay period, but then when you annualize that out over you know twenty six pay periods, twenty four pay periods. Um, it, it can add up to a you know, significant number. And I mean, we're talking, you know, $5,000, you know, for health insurance that you could be paying um, over the year uh, compared to if we chose another option, we're paying like $2,000. And so out of your, you know, $80,000 paycheck, $5,000 of that's off the, off the, off the bat going to health insurance for the year. And so it's kind of, um, you know, making, figuring out what's the best choice for you. That's going to save you the most money, um, for your situation that's best for your situation. So, um, okay. So I guess first thing I wanted to dive into, be, it's an employee benefit. Um, because you get it through your employer, uh, but it's something that you can enroll in and at any time, adjust your elections, whatnot, uh, compared to, uh, say, health insurance, but that's the 401k. Um, so for-profit companies, 401k, nonprofits, 403b, 457b, um, for government employees, the TSP, bless you, by the way, um, the TSP. And so um, this is a, a huge employee benefit that um, if you don't have an employer-sponsored plan, um, you really miss out on. And I guess kind of going back to what would we change with employee benefits, I think it's kind of crappy that um, to be able to contribute as much as you can to a 401k, somebody that doesn't have the option of 401k, they don't have that availability. So, um, you know. Of, of an employer sponsored plan where they can do that. Now there's other options for it if I own my own business and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, for like somebody that maybe has a, a W2 restaurant job or something like that, where they don't provide a 401k, um, and they're not able to go set up their own, um, like, 
uh, SEP or something like that. Uh, it's kind of kind of crap that we don't just simplify this. I think I've talked about this before. I think Ian uh, or uh, Ethan uh, Hutchinson. Um, I think we talked about this. Is make this too damn complicated for people? Like, why can't we simplify it? So, like, you know, here's an account where you can put, you know, a large amount of money in for retirement because we're concerned about people being able to retire um, adequately um, and provide for themselves in retirement, but we're going to limit you on what you can do. And so it's like, why not just give everyone the ability to put, you know, $50,000 or so into this account called a retirement account. We don't need 401k, 403b, all these different things, just one big lump sum account, you know, um, just to simplify things. And I know it's, it's more nuanced than that, but, um, it just, it makes it challenging for individuals, um, makes it complex for them. So, uh, but 401k let's, let's talk about 401k. Uh, so maybe talk about contribution limits and, um, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, so <clears throat> I, I think, uh, you know, con- contribution limits change, uh, every, every year. So I would always look at what, you know, this, this year is versus what's next year going to be. Um, that's something that you're not going to be able to change anyway until that's the actual calendar year starts. But it is important if some, if you're somebody who likes to max out their, uh, retirement contributions that you're, you're going to need to manually change that in most cases. I don't know. There might be some automation that allows you to, but I, I don't know of it. I, but I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm just probably not, I'm, I, I may just be naive to the fact that there's a way to automate it. I have not seen it yet, but um, there, there could be uh, 401k contributions. I think the, the thing with employee benefits, the nice thing here is it highlights at least one time a year that, Hey, you've got a 401k. Uh, you've got something available for your retirement. Are you taking advantage? And to me, not to plug financial planners, but I'm going to uh, employee benefits enrollment. That's one of, in my opinion, one of the best times to hire a planner. Um, it's one of the times that's kind of important. Maybe open enrollment. Maybe it's you know before the, the um, twelve thirty one of each year because you've got a lot of tax, tax planning opportunities. Obviously, before um, you know taxes are due in mid April, but Employee benefits, I think, is something where it's valuable because right away you could have your 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 planner look it over and pick the most optimized walking through, which would be the best. A four hundred one k selection. What I don't like about them um, is the fact that some of them you've got to be careful because every company is different, and some of them have much higher fees than you should. Um, I I worked for a Fortune five hundred company in Kansas City who got sued because they had a high fee structured 401k. And for somebody of that size, you think economies of scale pricing, they should get even better fees than normal and they have worse fees. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, I, I would fully support any company who gets sued because they're, uh, I don't know if it's their HR team that is just ignorant or naive, but, um, or is it, is it, are they allowing folks, you know, these, it's usually the big companies who are trying to kind of um, high fee and, and uh, suck the money from people. I don't, I don't appreciate that. So you've got to be careful. Um, with what you select, there's usually um, what they call index options. And those are what I would point most people to. It's not not always, but, and this is not financial um, advice, this is not investment advice, but what you want to look out for is the index funds. Anything that has the word index is typically going to be lower fee and typically a better option than one that 
Um, to me, I, I look at anything that's 0.5% from an expense ratio. Anything that's above 0.5% is high to me. Um, certainly anything above 1% is high from an expense ratio. So that's typically one of the, out of the few columns in all your 401k selections, that's one of the things to look out for. The other thing I'm not hugely fond of, but I understand why it's there is the target date fund. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's. Uh, a target date fund is really just uh, for, for folks who are kind of unaware of what the purpose of that is. You might see it as, you know, target date fund 2040 or 2045, 2050. That is supposed to line up to whatever year you think you're going to retire closest to. Um, it may not be exact, but they do usually five year increments. I'm not a huge fan of folks. I would never, me as a, uh, an individual advisor, I would never put my client into one if they're actively using me because that should be my job to choose a more optimized way to um, what they call rebalancing your portfolio. So if you wanted a certain percentage of your money to go to stocks, a percentage of your money to go to bonds and so on, that target date fund will automate that for you. So it's really a, a set it and forget it mentality. What I don't like though, um, usually the fees are higher and I'm a huge proponent that if you're 25, 30, 40 years old and you're not gonna retire until you're 60 plus, the amount of bonds and the conservative approach that a lot of these target date funds have, you're, it's a drag on your returns uh, for the long term. Again, it's not a guarantee. There's no guarantees in investing, but I firmly believe that over, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 year period uh, that bonds should not be involved. Um, as not If you've got a 40 year period, definitely not in the first 20 years, but I would go so far as to say 30, maybe even as far as 35. It just depends on on folks' risk tolerance and whatnot, it's always dependent on, on the individual. But I just think target date funds include um, a much higher percentage of bonds way too quickly. So I'm, I'm, I, I can't stand them. You can usually cre create your own target date fund by the other funds in the 401k. So sorry to go off on a tangent, but I'm a, I, yeah. I, hate, I hate target date funds for those reasons. <clears throat> uh, I'm there with you. No problem, no problem. So um, yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Um, so yeah, the 401k has higher contribution limits than say an IRA, Roth IRA. So 22,500 for 2023. They're saying it's projected for 2024 that it will be 23,000. So going up $500. Um, and then uh, if you're 50 or older, you get the catch up contribution um, that you can do. Um, but uh, so you can put a big pot of, pot of your money in there. Um, you know, depending on the size of your income. Um, I typically advise that kind of, uh, Dave Ramsey talks about this, but, um, do the 401k, if you're getting a company match, right. Um, do up to the company match. And then because of some of the things that you talked about, limited investment options inside the 401k. I like to I like to phrase it as so inside your 401k it's like a short menu when you go to a restaurant compared to if you open up an IRA or a Roth IRA over at a discount broker you have the full blown menu right and you have more investment options available for you so um, with that short menu there might be you know ten to thirty different investment options but when you boil it down it's there might be one investment for each asset class that you're looking to fill um, as part of your allocation. Um, 
And so really you might only have one option, maybe two options, an active and a passive for each asset allocation that you're each asset class that you're looking to fill. And so that might may not be the best option. Um, so uh, that's, you know, one of the things I dislike about 401ks. Um, also, uh, you mentioned it, the target date funds. Um, I'm there with you. I think they get too conservative too soon. Um, it's people like it. It's simple. It's yeah. easy. You don't have to think about it. But as you mentioned, for a 20-something um, that just started their career and is saving in their 401k for the first time, um, you know, at the most aggressive point of some target date funds, they have a 10% allocation to bonds. And to me, that's, as you mentioned, that's a drag on your portfolio, given your time horizon. You know, generally we're talking 59 and a half. Um, you know, some people may not even use it at that point. And so, um, you have a long time horizon, so you want to be growth oriented, um, assuming you're depending on what your objectives are. Right. And so I'm, I'm there with you. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of target date funds. I would never, um, put a client in target date funds that I'm managing assets for. Um, I've seen where clients have come from advisors, um, from, uh, uh, Southeast Mutual, um, uh, where uh, not a not a real company, um, but uh, where they threw the clients in target date funds. I'm like, this is just lazy. Yeah. Um, this is just a lazy approach. Um, as you mentioned, the target date is kind of they're managing it to when the participants approximately going to turn age 65. Um, you know, does that fit with your objectives? It's a it's it's an average investment for the average person. I don't think, you know, anybody wants to be average. Right. Um, and so something more custom tailored to you. Um, but yeah, do up to the company. I, I, you know, advise do up to the company match. One thing you want to be aware of with the company match is what is your vesting period? Um, because I've had clients where, well, the vesting period is, um, generally, well, so the vesting schedule, uh, the max six or seven years. I, I don't remember um, on the maximum vesting schedule, six, but, but yeah, I... this, yeah, you're, no, you're, that sounds right. Six. Um, but uh, so for, for some employers, you're immediately vested, meaning employer contributions are immediately yours. So if you were to leave the company, but some companies will have vesting schedules where it's, you know, a three year vesting schedule. Um, a three-year vesting schedule is going to be where none of those contributions are yours until you hit three years. And so if you don't plan on being with the company for three years, um, it might, may not make sense for you to invest in a 401k um, if, if this is just kind of a temporary stay because you're not going to end up getting uh, that match if you don't stay for the vesting period. And then on the six year, it, it's a tiered vesting, um, like what, 20% every year until you hit six years, um, if I recall correctly. So that's one thing to factor in on the, the company match. Uh, but then I like the shift over to like the Roth IRA. Um, and then once you fill that up, since it's a smaller limit um, for 2023, it's 6,500 for the IRA or Roth IRA. Uh, once you fill that up, then circle back if you're looking to do more savings do it inside the 401k, 403b, whatever. But uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on Roth versus pre-tax? 
Uh, I think most people have no idea what they're doing. Um, and I could use myself an <laughs> as an example. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> excuse me, before I got introduced into more about, uh, you know, just finances in general, <clears throat> I didn't know what it really meant. And so I, I remember I just like, without any type of direction or any um, goal oriented, like I just was like, I guess I'll put a few percentage here and most of it here. And I didn't, I had no idea. Right. So like, I think most people, that's where I feel very confident in my ability because most people don't have, they have no direction and they don't know what's right. So they're literally just throwing darts going, I, hopefully that works. And um, there's just so much uh, lost money because people don't understand from a tax implication or from an investment return implication, um, like what, what their choices mean. And, and, um, and even from an overall financial planning, so one of the things I was going to mention to you was, you know, for me personally, I use my HSA as my, if I'm choosing one area that I'm investing in, it's my HSA's first because it's the only investment that truly has the potential to never be taxed. And that's unique. Um, it can be hugely valuable throughout your entire life, but especially more important in retirement. But it also means you have to take a step back and you have to look at your healthcare plan options. And I think a lot of people, you said it earlier, you uh, yeah, you did choose a high deductible plan, so that would be a, potentially HSA eligible, but you did it not for HSA purposes. You did it because it was the lowest premium, and that's completely fine. Uh, I think some people do the opposite. I talked to a guy two, three days ago who said, I just went with the higher one because I wanted to know that, you know, I had everything covered and it was, you know, I didn't have to pay a whole yeah. lot of pocket. And that, that makes sense too, but for salespeople especially, they make a tremendous amount of money in commissions on top of a lot of times it'll be like a 50, 50 split, 50% of their total compensations, base salary, 50% commission. If you can help them understand that, Hey, one of those big commission checks that you get throughout the year that you're inevitably going to get, like most salespeople, they may not hit hundred percent of quote every year. They might do 20, 30, 40%. Most of them, I would say, dang, they're all going to hit some sort of percentage. So if you can live off the base and just have a chunk of money, and you have an HSA available, boom, throw it at your HSA at that time. Or like most people do, they would over time throughout their, uh, you know, their pay periods, they can, they can put in little bits of money here and there to fill up that bucket. But that's, I just don't think anybody really understands the tax implications. And I, and another reason I, I would, I would go with you. I like Roth more because the folks that are doing traditional, are they really taking those tax savings and then putting those tax savings back in. Mm -hmm. If they're not, then you might as well do Roth because now that bucket of money that you have at retirement isn't really all yours. Some of it's going to be Uncle Sam's and then some of it's going to be yours. In a Roth, boom, that's, you know, assuming you're following the rules, that's all your money. Not, it's already been taxed. So to me, for the, the, the common person who has no way to, uh, you know, no direction or no financial advisor they're working with, I would choose Roth in the majority of cases just simply because people aren't following up doing what they're kind of supposed to do. Right. I don't know if that's, if you're in agreement with that, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, absolutely. People don't, people in the advisor space don't like it when I say this, but dollar for dollar, you can essentially put more into the Roth because the contribution limit is the same. And One's going to get taxed in retirement, one isn't. And so to your point, most people aren't doing anything with that quote unquote tax saving that they're getting by contributing pre-tax, right? 
it's kind of neither here nor there. They're not calculating the difference and saying, oh, I'm going to do. And so, I mean, you can put the same dollar amount into those same buckets. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Roth and especially given where we're right now. So, you know, just to kind of uh, go back here. So when you do the pre-tax 401k, the money goes into your 401k before taxes are, are withheld, right? If you do the Roth 401k, your money, your paycheck's going to get taxed, and then they're going to deposit the money into your Roth. So it's after-tax money. Um, both are going to grow tax-free, but then the pre-tax, you're going to have to pay taxes on that in retirement versus the Roth, um, that's going to be tax-free withdrawals in retirement. And when we do a lot of these projections, what I see is required minimum distributions for people that have accumulated a lot of pre-tax assets. RMDs really kill people when it comes to taxes in retirement, and they continually grow in retirement when I look at a lot of projections for folks. And it's the old question of, well, do you think your tax is going to be lower now um, than it is in retirement? If so, contribute to the Roth or vice versa. If you're in a higher tax bracket now than you anticipate being in retirement, do pre-tax. You're, you're trying to anticipate what the future has in store and who the hell knows what tax rates are going to be in the future. We don't have a crystal ball. You're, you're playing a guessing game here. Um, and if I'm guessing, um, taxes are not going to be lower than they are right now, um, even in retirement. Um, for one, you have the Tax Cuts Jobs Act that was passed at the end of 2017 that lowered taxes for virtually everybody, um, small slitter folks that didn't help and didn't help the blue states um, because it limited their salt deductions. But uh, we won't dive into that. Um, but our tax rates are lower um, on taxable income. Uh, but the tax code's not permanent. So at the end of 2025, if the new tax code's not passed or the current tax code's not made permanent or extended, then we're set for higher tax rates starting in 2026, which uh, depending on the bracket that you're looking at or, um, you know, about uh, what, three to 4% higher um, for most folks that are in the kind of 22, 24% range. And so we know tax rates are set to go up. We've got $31 trillion and counting of debt going on. We're going to have to eventually pay for it someday. How do they pay for it? They tax you. And so I'm going to kind of hedge my bets here. And uh, that's why I'm a big advocate of, hey, even if you want to do traditional in the future, let's load up on Roth right now while we're probably in the lowest tax bracket you're going to be in for the rest of your life. The, the lowest tax bracket that you're going to be in between now and the start of 2026 um, when tax rates are set to go up. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of my thought process. I, I would say just um, I'm in agreement with you. I think that the couple of things I would add, um, the other like Medicare surcharges when you're retired, like there's other implications where if you have tax-free money available through the Roth, you're going to have potentially lower charges and el elsewhere because your income's not going to look as high as it does with, with a traditional method. The other thing is, in retirement, when you most likely don't have a job, you have no income, it's all based off of your investments. That would probably, if I'm you, probably be my least favorite time to be taxed when I don't have an income to make up for the potential amount of taxes I pay. So I would rather pay my taxes now on it 
and and know that all that's mine later. It's it's I like I always look at it as my way I used to eat lunch as a kid. I would eat all the stuff I didn't really like that much and save my dessert for last. And it's like that that's the way I like to invest. It's like I I want to really enjoy and I want to know that the work is done, you know, beforehand. I've taxed already and then hey, now all this is tax free. So that's that's how I kind of look at it. <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. So well sounds good. Sounds good. So uh not all employers offer a Roth option for their employer sponsor plan, Roth 401k, Roth 403b. Um, so that's one thing if you don't have that available. Um, also, something new with the uh, Secure Act 2.0. Um, I haven't actually seen this in practice, though. Uh, but starting in um, starting at the beginning of 2023, employers could now do the match in Roth format. Uh, but I haven't seen any employers actually doing that. My guess is we'll start to see that in 2024. So that's kind of interesting. Something to be aware of there is um, that's great because if so, if you did a Roth right now, a Roth 401k, your employer match is going to be in, in 401k format, pre-tax format. Um, they haven't had the ability to put that into Roth format up until this year. Um, and so... Um, you know, in the future, you would, even if you did all Roth contributions, when you get to retirement, your company match would be in a 401k. So you will have some pre-tax assets. But um, if you wanted to do the company match in Roth format, that's now an option. It doesn't mean it's provided through your employer yet, though. I think we'll probably start to see that this next year in 2024 with annual benefits enrollment. But the one thing to be aware of there is that if you do that, that's going to be additional income added to your W-2. So you want to be able to plan around that. So that's, yeah. um, some, someone might see, Ooh, I can do my match in Roth, but there is a tax consequence to that. So it's going to be kind of phantom income that you don't see or because it goes into your Roth. Um, but you're going to have to pay the tax on that. So kind of interesting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you'd mentioned it. Anything else you want to mention real quick on 401k? And then we'll dive into health insurance because I think that's probably why people are here. Yeah, no, that's uh, I, I think we're we're good on the four hundred one k front. All right. So yeah, health insurance. So um, a lot of people, you know, growing up, that was kind of the thing, like finding an employer that provides a good benefits plan that included health insurance, and so um, annual enrollment for health insurance. Uh, is during your annual annual benefits enrollment period. And so you're presented with these options um, and it will vary by employer. Um, not all employers are going to offer these different options. Um, but uh, kind of the, the main ones to talk about are kind of the traditional PPO plan. Um, then there's the HMO health maintenance option. Um, and then uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the high deductible health plan where you attach an HSA to it. So um, I guess, yeah, you want, you want to talk about um, where do you, where do you want to start there? I'll start how I kind of finished last time with the whole uh, eat your dessert at the end. Um, if, if, if you're working through choosing an employee benefit, if you know you've got additional cash flow, you let's just say you're all relatively uh, healthy as a family while you're choosing employee benefits, um, it, or even if you're unhealthy, but you have a tremendous amount of cash flow, I'm a humongous proponent of uh, choosing the high deductible plan with an HSA attached. And the reason why, um, I think it's 
I looked it up. Uh, I want to say it was 8,300 next year um, for HSA total. Uh, yeah. Is that right? For family. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So that, what I said earlier, where that's my favorite investing vehicle, even though a lot of people don't think of HSAs as a way to invest. For folks who don't know, like an HSA is a way for you to pay for medical costs um, without being taxed. <clears throat> so what you do is if your employer offers it, the nice thing here is you can take that money out of each paycheck. Um, so $8,300 next year, split up um, through either you know, 24 or 26 pay periods, whatever that ends up being per, per paycheck is fairly minimal. But now if the, let's say you pay for all of your medical expenses in cash. At the end of 2024, you're going to have $8,300 that you have available sitting in a bucket. The, be the better part, in my opinion, not, not investing advice, but the better part is if you took majority of that money and invested it um, with a, a long-term plan. My wife and I, we have a little over 20, 20 grand in our HSA accounts, and we're not planning on touching that until uh, we're 65, 77, however old we, we, we are when we have you know, probably more medical issues. And that's going to grow, even if we didn't add a dime to it. Yeah, that's that's probably going to be over six figures worth of a bucket of money that's tax free that you can that you can spend on medical expenses. And the nice thing with HSAs is, at age sixty five, it essentially turns into a traditional IRA where you can pull from it for any use. Um, you do have to pay taxes on it, so I would still recommend only using an HSA for any medical expenses. But I love HSAs because they Tax-free. That's a tax that um, deduction when you when you um, first contribute. It grows tax-free, and then it's pulled out tax-free as long as you use it for uh, medical expenses. Which I think average. This is a study from Fidelity a couple of years ago. Average expenses for a married couple is like three hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars in, in um, retirement. Well, I expect that number to at least double by the time you know if you're in your mid-thirties, like I am, like. You know that's 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 a lot of money. So, are you going to want to save a lot of money for just health and you know health purposes? Yes, I would say yes. Arguably, you're you're most likely going to need more dollars in and um, from a health perspective in 65 plus than you are, you know, even including having babies and whatnot. Like it's it's going to get worse and worse. I think, um, in my opinion. So, um, I'm a big fan of of, of high deductible health plans with HSAs attached, especially if you include. <clears throat> the long-term capabilities of investing that, um, that, that chunk of money. So. Yeah. Yeah. And our, our planning softwares, we have a general inflation number, um, in the planning software I utilize, got a general inflation number and you have a healthcare inflation number. Yep. Usually that number's higher. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but, uh, so yeah, yeah. The high deductible health plan. So first traditional plan, PPO plan, um, so kind of a little bit about that. That's where, um, you're going to pay a higher premium, but your costs are going to be, um, your out-of-pocket expenses are going to be more predictable. Yeah. Um, so generally you'll have like a copay, go, go to the doctor, you have like a $30 copay, something like that, but your <clears throat> payroll deductions for your premiums are going to be significantly higher than the high deductible plan. Compared to the high deductible plan, so um, the high deductible plan, your premiums coming out of payroll to uh, cover the cost of the insurance are typically going to be lower, um, but any out-of-pocket expense when you go see the doctor, uh, usually 100% of that is upfront on you. And so kind of what I was saying earlier, the HSA, the high deductible health plan makes you more of a consumer 
of going of utilizing healthcare. And so it's both on the traditional plan, the PPO plan, it's going to the doctor, I just have $30 copay, you know, um, on the high deductible health plan, it's going to the doctor, this is going to cost us $125. Do we really need to go to the doctor for the sniffles? Or can we go get some over the counter, you know, NyQuil um, to cover this and, and get through this? So um, makes you more of a consumer rather than just the, oh, you know, insurance will cover it, just a, a copay. And then um, you have those deductibles. So with the high deductible health plan, your deductible is going to be higher. Um, you are paying higher out-of-pocket cost up front. Um, um, so looking at our old benefits from 2021, the PPO plan, um, the family deductible was 500 bucks. Now, my wife works for a health system, so they use their facilities. Uh, insurance is good, right? Um, so we had a, a deductible of $500. Um, and then our out-of-pocket limit for the family was $6,500. Um, for physician services, it was $25 copay, preventative stuff, 100% covered. So the high-deductible plan, your family deductible so compared to the 500 for the family on the high deductible health plan was 3000 your out of pocket max was $12,000 preventative care under high deductible plans typically covered 100% but you had that out of pocket expense up front until you reached that deductible um, then once you hit the deductible you get into coinsurance and so what is that coinsurance what is the split between you and insurance and so for these um, it was 10% coinsurance. So once I hit my deductible on the high deductible plan of 3000 insurance is going to cover 90% of the cost of medical care. And we're going to pay 10% of the cost above that deductible amount. And our out of pocket is 12,000. It's capped at 12,000, right? Um, so, uh, um, on the PPO, once we hit that $500 deductible coinsurance, yeah, it varies on, on coinsurance on here. Looked like it was an 80-20 split for a lot of services. So um, with an out-of-pocket max of 6500 Ooh, 65000 um, So that kind of gives you an idea on the cost there. Um, so which is, and then there's HMO. I'm not a big fan of HMOs. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but it's, you've got to go to your doctor to get a referral to go see a specialist and those sorts of things. Whereas with the like PPO plan or the high deductible plan, you get... You can do those things um, on your own if you want to. So there's going to be a cost, but it's it's like a middle of the road. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. So with the traditional plan, a lot of people will do the FSA. So helps lower your taxable income. But the problem with that um, is it's use it or lose it, right? And so. In most cases, it's either you can carry over $500 or you can you have a grace period from the end of the year to, I think, what, March 15th that you can still utilize those funds. But if you don't utilize those FSA funds um, or you have more than that uh, carryover amount, you lose that money. And so that's why I'm not a huge fan of those. Um, the limits on the FSA are lower because traditional plan costs are, you know, typically lower with your co-pays and that sort of thing. Um, but compare that to the HSA. And as you spoke to, that's your money. Um, so you get to keep that. 
um, and those limits are much higher. Uh, as you said, going up in 2024 for family, um, for a family plan, uh, your HSA contributions can be $8,300. Um, for 2023 still, it's $7,750, $7,750. And that's money that you get to keep. You don't have to use it. And so what I like to do a lot of times if people can cash flow, uh, it sounds like you're doing this. So when you go to the doctor, you're on the high deductible plan. If you can cash flow that bill rather than utilizing the HSA, um, you get to keep that money. And like you said, you can invest it and utilize it as almost like a small IRA when you get to age 65 without a, a penalty um, for, for using it for non-qualifying medical expenses. The other cool thing about the HSA is, let's say you didn't fill it up for 2023, or let's say we're talking about 2024, since we're talking about 2024 benefits enrollment. If you don't fill it up by the end of the calendar year, you still have until the tax filing deadline where you can go top it off out of pocket. Um, and then when you go do your taxes, you're going to get a deduction. So it helps lower your income. Uh, I'll, I'm going to pause it real, real quick because that's really important. And it was a planning opportunity for one of my clients this year who had a known surgery for their child coming up. And um, it's, it's one of those stupid nuances that you, it's like you, in America, you almost forced to use like an accountant or financial planner. I, it sounds weird saying that as a financial planner, but I, I informed the couple, hey, you can fill up your HSA bucket from last year, even though you're not eligible, they weren't eligible. They went with the PPO plan because they knew that they had big expenses. It's like fill that puppy up and they ended up saving um, six or $700 in tax from a, just from a tax perspective, just because they knew that it was upcoming. So yeah, if you've got an upcoming surgery that you, that's known, uh, you know, if, if you're, if your yeah. spouse is pregnant, wife's pregnant um, or trying to get like, there are definitely ways to make sure you're planning, um, you know, these, these big medical expenses and you can, that, that's, I, I just, that's why we're doing this, right? That financial planning is so important. If yeah. you look at it, you know, holistically and, just, and, and you're taking all, all types of, uh, of things that you're doing in your life in it at consideration when you're choosing these benefits. <clears throat> yeah. And, and that's exactly so um, whether it's you were on a high deductible plan last year or you're on one this year, but you're thinking of, of switching for the upcoming year. Well, even if you don't max out your HSA, you know, by calendar you're in, you still have up until the tax filing deadline to fill that up for this year. If you're on a high deductible plan, even though you switch over to a PPO plan or something um, in 2024. So that's, something to be aware of there. Uh, one thing is, you know, making sure that you don't over contribute um, because you want to include any employer contributions that go into that. Uh, those count towards that limit. So what are your, what are your thoughts on what's right for, for who is a high deductible health plan right for me? Um, or should I go with a traditional plan? As, as everything with financial planning, you know, the whole, it depends, it depends on the individual, right? Um, I, I think anybody that's a fairly high income earner um, or just has a lot of extra cash flow, they, they've done a, a good job of staying under budget. I really love HSAs for the, for the reasons I mentioned before. So if you can if you can get that going, I would choose the high deductible plan with you know, the HSA eligibility. For folks who 
the number one thing in their life is is predictability. I think that's the main reason that you go with a, a PPO plan uh, or anything that's not a high deductible plan. It's it's more predictable costs. Um, think of it like this: a high deductible health plan has the lowest ceiling, meaning like if let's just say you stay perfectly healthy, you're paying lower premiums, so you're not going to get any lower than the high deductible plan unless you just don't have insurance, which probably not a good idea. Um, and then the PPO plan or any other plan, it's a it's a <clears throat> um, a uh, a lower ceiling, meaning that you don't have to, you won't have to pay as much if you were really unhealthy and had to use your medical uh, insurance for different medical purposes. You're not paying as much as that high deductible plan. Um, so there, it's just uh, opportunity costs. It depends on the individual, but uh, that's, yeah, I think I'm not going to uh, beat a dead horse here. I think HSA for me uh, personally, I like, but everybody's a little different. Yeah. One thing I will say is don't just pick the high deductible health plan because it's the cheapest option. If you're going to do it, you need to save the money yes. because if you have to go see the doctor, you need the money set aside, right? Yeah. Um, if you, you know, have to have a major medical test or something done, that's going to cost you. So don't just pick it because it's the low cost thing you need to save. Um, and that's the benefit of the HSA. So you also want to make sure that your high deductible plan is HSA eligible yes. because I don't know why would you, why you would do this, but um, high deductible health plans that don't meet the requirements to qualify for a HSA, which is kind of dumb it's in my mind. So stupid. Uh, one additional note, if it's high deductible L or HSA eligible, um, and you can look up the characteristics of what makes it eligible, um, typically online. Uh, sometimes your employee benefits package will say it. But let's say if you choose a high deductible health plan, your company doesn't have any verbiage that says you have an HSA available. You can go out on the private market. I did this several years ago, and I went to Fidelity is who I used. Fidelity is a well-known okay. you know, um, investment. Like they, they have the ability to open up different investment accounts. I opened up my own HSA uh through mm -hmm. fidelity and did did it my own now the the slight again stupid nuance is if you do that uh just be sure that if your employer ever does offer an hsa use your employer because the nuance here is if you use the private market you don't get the fica tax cut um the, the, the fica tax deduction so an additional 7.65 percent that you can save on taxes um, you, you only can get that option if you go through your employer's HSA. Uh, if you go through the private market, you don't get that. So it's and for a lot of I don't want to get into the specifics of FICA tax, but just know that if your if your employer uh, offers it, use your employer's HSA. Uh, for anybody else that doesn't, as long as it's a, a HSA eligible high deductible health plan, you can go to the private market and open it up. So no excuses for not having an HSA available. They're they're available if you if you need them. And you can always transfer HSA dollars to a different HSA provider. Um, Lively is one that I like. Mm -hmm. So even if you, you know, let's say we both have Fidelity as an option through payroll, they're depositing. You can always transfer those funds over to another provider if you want. Um, I like Lively. They they uh, sync up with Schwab where you can do the investment account for the HSA dollars that you want to invest. So, um, but yeah, we, we won't dive anymore into that i probably need to do a separate podcast on hsas uh, maybe invite you back on because you seem like uh pretty knowledgeable about them so all right so let, let's touch on dental and vision 
Um, don't really want to go too much into this, but um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on dental envision? Should people enroll in it? I think the lazy person, which was me for a lot of years, just enrolled in them, even if I didn't need them. Um, and because they're usually so cheap, but to your point earlier, that should be Kyle, like 24, 26 pay periods, even if it's only, you know, 15, $20, well, that can add up, right? That can be a nice Christmas gift for your spouse or your kid, you know, a couple hundred bucks at the end of the year if you don't. So if you don't need them, don't use, now most people I would say need dental. Um, but if you're a single person out there, um, your teeth are like, my brother's a dentist and he's even said like, if you're single, you've got like healthy teeth, you know, you don't have any cavities or whatnot. He's like, I wouldn't honestly go with, with dental insurance. I would just um, pay it out of pocket and you're going to most likely save. So do, do your homework. I think that's, that's the one thing I would say here is do your homework. If, if you can get away with not having it, then it's not, you know, you don't, you could always um, sign up for it on the private market. So even if you had a just huge emergency, you got a fork in your eye, you got a you know, tooth knocked out, like whatever, like, you can get this type of insurance later outside of your employer. So you're not going to be stuck holding, holding a humongous uh, uh, dental or vision bill. So that, that would be my, my uh, statement on that. But otherwise most people, especially if you're in family setting, I would probably be getting dental um, just because there, who knows what happens with, with kiddos. Um, and, and same thing with, with, well, vision's a little different. Vision's not as a, you know, mandatory, if you will. So yeah, and I agree with you. It's it's just easy to do. It's it's annoying to like dive into the details. It just seems like a little bit of money here or there. But they generally cover not a ton. Um, so they'll cover your annual exam for like vision and then for dental, like ours does two visits per year or a visit every six months that it'll cover. But then when you get into like actual dental work, like you need a filling or something, I mean, you're still paying usually you're still paying a you know I'm, i had a filling done recently um and i think i paid 90 bucks out of pocket even with insurance um previously okay. i had kind of i reached out to my um this is kind of getting nerdy but i reached out to my dentist and said hey you know i'm doing annual benefits enrollment um if i need and that's the thing we never know what we're gonna need right but it's like if I need a filling, what if I pay out of pocket, uh, just paying cash, what is this going to cost me? And I did the math and it was, yeah. And so I ended up just going with dental insurance. But I mean, you could make a case where, like you said, if you have good teeth and, um, and whatnot and taking care of yourself, it might not make sense for you to save a few bucks here or there. Helps lower your taxable income, um, makes things a little more predictable, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. So, um, and I had an eye issue a few years back and, um, they had to do a surgery on my eye. I had a scratch cornea, mm. not, re not really a surgery, but they threw me on a table and put a clamp to keep my eye open and they basically Ugh. washed my eye. It was the worst thing in the world. Ugh, yeah. Um, they deadened it, but they called that a surgery and they did that through my health insurance. So vision insurance yeah. didn't actually cover that. It was my health insurance. Good. That's a good point too. Yeah. My, my wife has glaucoma and she, most of the time when she goes to her eye doctor, it's actually billed through the medical uh, insurance, not, not through eye. Um, and I had a feeling, yeah. feeling done too, by the way, and it was $135, no insurance. I asked him beforehand. I was like, cause I didn't, I was, I was like, I'm not going to get insurance unless it's substantially. And I was like, man, I'm not going to get insurance. So I didn't. So. Yeah. 
Well, the new dentist that I go to, um, it's funny. I've been there for a cleaning and a filling. And as you're leaving, checking out, they're like, would you like a warm chocolate chip cookie? I'm like, man, I, <laughs> see, I see what you guys are doing. Recurring here. business. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Should we start selling high interest credit cards uh, to our clients? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is hilarious. <laughs> so they taste delicious. I, I was going to say I would definitely take it. So. <laughs> so another one. So going from dental and vision, let's talk about long term disability. So this is. This is one that not a ton of people are kind of attuned to, and it's one of the it's the most underinsured thing, right? Uh, when we're talking about insurance and insurance needs, but long term disability, the idea that if you became disabled, where's your income coming from? Um, and don't tell me social security disability because they pay next to nothing. Um, and so that's that's why um, you know it's not a gimmick; it's something that. Um, any working person probably needs, depending on their, you know, assets. Um, but uh, yeah, you have a back injury and you can't work, um, wear it for, you know, permanently or for a year or so. Uh, where's your income coming from? And so that's why um, we're talking about long-term disability. Not every employer offers it. I say, with every client that we bring on, this is something that we want to make sure that we get in place because, you know, working with um, young professionals in their 20s to 40s, they're still in their working lives. And so um, probably haven't accumulated the assets to be sustainable to live on for the rest of their life yet. Um, so they're working. And so making sure that if they lose their income, they have income coming from another place. But I, I always say your employer is the best place to get this through a group policy, whether it's employer provided. I've seen some employers will provide it as an employee benefit. Um, generally, they'll do like 60% of your, your pay is what they'll do for um, uh, LTD coverage. Um, but then you also want to look and see what is their monthly cap. So it might be 60% of your pay. Uh, but their monthly cap might be like $6,000, which if you're making, you know, a $200,000 income, that isn't 60% of your pay, right? Um, and so being aware of those things, uh, that's going to be pre-tax if it's employer provided. The other option is voluntary benefit where it's a group policy where you can voluntarily enroll in it and purchase it yourself through payroll. You'd want to, you know, know if it's going to be pre-tax or, or post-tax. Generally in that situation, it's going to be post-tax, but not always um, if you're if you're paying for it. But uh, um, that's going to be the cheapest option because if you go purchase it individually, it gets pretty costly, but it's something that you want to have in place. So yeah, what are, what are your thoughts about that? I, I won't call it a disagreement, but I'll, I'll okay. uh, throw it from a different angle, which I would say the... Um, I think long-term disability, like you said, it's the, it's the one inch, it's the, it's the insurance, the one insurance that got away, right? Like most people don't think about it, yeah. but more people become disabled versus, um, die prematurely. So there's an argument to be in an aid that long-term disability is more important than, than life insurance. I would say both are very important. So I would do both. I agree with you, uh, through, through your employer, it's probably going to be cheaper, but I have seen, and even in my own life, I have seen where the private market actually is lower cost. The interesting thing about the private market is that it's, it's, it, it follows you. So what I think is horrible about uh, American uh, employee benefits is that health insurance, disability, like 
everything kind of dies with you. It's not portable, meaning it can't, it doesn't move with you from one job to the next. So if you were to get long-term disability through your employer and then change employers and that next employer doesn't have long-term disability and you get hit by the proverbial bus the very next day after leaving the employer that offered disability and you no longer have it, I kind of hope you die because you're disabled, you're disabled and you don't, you won't get any benefits um, because that, that wasn't portable. So it's, that it's tough because there's kind of, there's a cost there. It's, it's, uh, and a lot of times, like you said, it's, it's higher costs if you go in the private market, not always, but, but in a lot of cases, um, but there, what if you, uh, health, health purposes, um, long-term disability, like if you, if your health declines while you are working a job and you get a new job, uh, I mean, you could get with that employer, but again, that's just assuming that employer offers long-term disability, you're still going to need it. And if you don't have it on the private market, then decide to finally get it. Uh, if your health's declining, like it's going to be higher premium costs. So there's, it's, it's tough. I, I agree with you and disagree. Like it's just a very, just like anything, it depends. Um, I personally would rather have a, a uh, especially if you can afford it. If you can't afford it and the cheapest option, go do your employer for sure. Um, it makes it easy, yeah. but otherwise uh, try if you can to get a, a private policy, uh, even if it's a little bit more expensive. Yeah. No, and I, I, you know, um, point taken there. Um, absolutely. So, and I, I've even had some clients where they have employer provided, but it's not enough. And so then we'll purchase, um, a separate policy on their own. But yeah, from, from what I've seen through my clients, it's been more expensive than, other options or they don't have any other options. Um, and a lot of it depends on the, the benefit period. Uh, because if you're trying to go get benefits to age 65, that's going to be your most expensive option versus, you know, a a three to five year benefit period on the policy that helps, um, lessen the cost. Uh, but it also leaves kind of an open window of if your, um, disability lasts longer than that time period. So, yeah, disability is a tricky one. It really is. Um, I, I, I've got a um, couple clients for health issues where they their employers don't provide it. And then insurers, because of their condition, are not willing to underwrite them. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it creates, it creates another issue. But, um, but no, kind of going with your uh, portability theme there, that kind of gets us into the next one life insurance. And so I'm with you on that with life insurance where um, I'm not a huge fan of the life insurance through your employer. I'll take it if they're giving me something, Yeah, but I want my own separate policy because for the very thing that you mentioned, if I ever change jobs, that typically is not going with me. And I might have um, something happen health-wise where I'm no longer able to get underwritten for uh, life insurance. And so, um, so yeah, let, let's shout about life insurance and then we'll kind of round things off with a rapid fire of uh, some random benefits. But uh, like I said, life insurance, not my favorite place to get life insurance through your employer, but I'll take what they give us. Generally, they'll give you one to two times, if any, one to two times your salary is kind of what is typical out there. Your employer can give you $50,000 of, of uh, life insurance tax-free, but if they give you above that, 
I think a lot of people don't realize that um, if they give you above $50,000 in life insurance benefits, the amount above $50,000 is actually going to be taxable income to you. So you don't even see it. It's more phantom income than the uh, Roth 401k employer um, contributions, right? The match. Uh, but you're actually going to get taxed on, on that additional life insurance um, when you file your uh, taxes. Um, and it's income that you, it's money you've never seen, but they're, they're taxing you for that benefit. But generally what I see is you, I, I kind of go with the 10 to times, 10 to 12 times your annual income. It's kind of general rule of thumb there that I, I use for, um, life insurance needs. I, I do term insurance. Um, and typically what we're talking about is people, uh, individuals with uh, um, dependent children at home, right? Um, or like a spouse that's dependent on your income. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I guess uh, give me your thoughts there on life insurance and employee benefits. Uh, yeah, if you don't, if you don't have, if, if nobody's relying on you for income, um, that's, that, this is one that's, that's, you know, take the 50K and free group term life, but then that's it. I, w I wouldn't personally, um, even if it's cheap, who cares? Like it's, 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 if you're not, you know, if no one's dependent on you. Like if you want to be nice, well, even then I was going to say, if you want to be nice, you can cover like your own funeral costs, but the 50 K is going to cover that. So no, I, I, I don't think there's a good reason if you have no dependents, um, to, to get life insurance, um, if, if that's your sole purpose. Otherwise I, um, kind of like my, what I said on disability, I think getting, going out in the private market, go to an independent insurance agent, they're going to shop multiple companies. They're going to make sure those, hopefully going to make sure those uh, companies are all reputable. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think we both have, you know, maybe share in the show notes. There's a couple of different companies that we use. I think that would be considered, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to sell insurance for the, t the top companies who aren't going to go out of business. They're going to actually pay their claim, that type of thing. That's important. Um, you don't want to just go cheap just to go cheap. Um, that, that could just mean that they may not pay the claim because they're, you know, they're shoddy company or fly by night. So, um, Term insurance is important. Ten to twelve times, I think, is a really good rule of thumb. Uh, it's dependent on the individual, it, depending on your goals, depending on your age. You may be close, like if you're fifty-five and maybe your kids are grown, but maybe you want to cover your spouse if you were to die. Um, you may not need as much insurance as, say, a thirty-five-year-old like me. I'm thirty-six. I got four kids. Yeah. You know, age basically six and under, and I desperately would need insurance on me to cover if I were to die prematurely because I need to make sure I cover college costs for them. Uh, you know, just having a, a, a home over their head, food for the next however many years, uh, you know, making sure my, my, basically my income that's lost is going to be covered with that, with that term insurance. And that's, that's the appropriate use of insurance from a life insurance perspective, in my opinion, there's other uses. Yeah. Most people, I don't, I think term insurance is their way to go. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to add, Kyle, but that's, that's kind of my, those are kind of my yeah. thoughts. Yeah, uh, we talked about it on a prior episode. Andy Flattery and myself, we did an episode on life insurance, so go tune into that. I think it's episode four, uh, back in the dark ages when we launched this thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's to replace your income, provide for your loved ones when you can't, right? Yeah. When you're gone. Yeah. Um, it's, as Dave would say, it's loving your family. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, uh, yeah, so uh, I guess rapid fire here real quick, short-term disability, um thoughts on that uh if you have an emergency fund most likely i would skip short-term disability I had a client earlier who it was only 43 dollars a paycheck 
But then I did the math of like, that's a thousand dollars for the year that you're paying short-term disability yeah. and you have a much larger adequate like emergency fund. So skip it. That's a thousand dollars back in your pocket that you, I know it sounds small. Oh, 43. It's not that much. It can be, that's a thousand bucks. I think anybody would, would enjoy a thousand dollars. Right. So, um, if you if you don't have an emergency fund, short-term disability would probably be the way to go. It, it, you typically pays a hundred percent of your uh, of your base salary, um, and it's usually immediate. Not always, but usually it can be immediate or within the, the first couple uh, two to four weeks. Maybe it gets gets um, yeah. going, and it goes for typically up to I think twelve weeks. Um, this, I, I haven't seen every single policy in the world, but I would imagine most of them are within that that range. So um, most likely you can skip it. Um, do you want to just go down the list? Yeah. Uh, One thing I'll say real quick about that. Uh, so um, my wife um, works for a health system and they don't provide maternity leave. And so one of the mm -hmm. things that they, you know, planning to have a kid, what you have to do is take sick leave and then you can do short-term disability. And so that was something that we had to enroll in, you know, planning for a child. But, um, but that, yeah, normally fully funded emergency fund, you're good to go. Yeah. Uh, legal, I'm not a huge fan of that unless you want like your estate planning documents done, but then it has its limitations. You're kind of limited to the attorneys you can go to. Most of them, from what I've heard, don't like doing that sort of work. So, What I would add to that is if you're not going to go out and get, get a will or, or powers of attorney, trust, any, any of those documents, if you're not going to do it, um, but the legal the legal benefit would allow you to do it, it's typically roughly a couple hundred bucks a year, you know. It's like 10 bucks a paycheck a lot of times. Um, in that case, yeah. I think it's worth it. Otherwise, um, you know, if you already know that that's something that you want to do and you're going to go to attorney and do that, that's probably the better option. But I do like it. Just cover the basis. So. Uh, pet insurance? I don't have a pet. Um, I, I know it's important <laughs> for people. Um, I, I would say uh, just be realistic. I, it's hard for me. It's it's hard for me to say that because I don't have a pet. So I know sometimes folks yeah. know, pets are 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 um, are family members, and um, it, it depends. I'll 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 go I'll go that route not to not to piss anybody off who's got pets. So um, no, no, it's uh so I've up until recently I had two. Uh, we had two dogs, uh, Bubba and Charlie. Uh, Bubba actually a month ago passed away. Mm. Um, it, you know it's. Uh, like you said, um, they're like part of the family, um, and we grieve for um, a few days and still kind of grieving, but you move past it, uh, and they are a pet, you know. Um, they, they, they aren't human, but um, they are man's best friend. Um, so uh, pet bills are, can get pretty expensive. Um, I guess maybe we were fortunate with our, our animals. Um, they, they've been... Not too bad uh, with the vet bills, but uh, I don't know. Um, I'd, you'd have to look and see what it covers, but it's kind of like that's the cost of owning a pet is the vet bills. So I've I've never done pet insurance, so we've contemplated, but I've, I've never I've never done it or really recommended it. AD and D accidental death and dismemberment. Uh, I'll just take this one real quick. This yeah. is kind of a gimmicky one in my mind. It it's very cheap because it doesn't cover very much. Uh, the idea that you're going to be decapitated and you get an extra $100,000 or $200,000 is unlikely. So I would say just save the money. So let me know if you have any different thoughts than that. But uh, No, no. Um, I, I, I think that's a good 
good summation of that. Yeah, some you got to be careful on some benefits. That's a good way to end it. Is just a warning that not every just because it's an employee benefit doesn't necessarily mean it's it's good um, or it would yeah. benefit you. So it's it's dependent on the person. Yeah, Michael, it's been a pleasure. Um, I know we went kind of long here, so tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, LinkedIn is my my main uh, gig. I, I try to post just about every day. Um, ChallengeEverythingFinancial.com. I shorten it to Chen Financial for anyone that doesn't want to type out that long ass website name. I didn't think about that when I uh, first put it together, but um, LinkedIn is probably the best. All right, man. Well, we'll uh, go cats this weekend and uh, we'll have to grab a beer sometime soon. 100%. Let's do it. All right. You take care. All right. Yep. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. Talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed the return of the show. That was a fun conversation with Michael. Check the show notes for several links to resources to learn more about Michael and the topics we discussed. If you're looking for more information about me or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit hilltopfp.com, no dash. You can find personal finance from the Hilltop where good podcasts are found, and be sure to subscribe so you get all the new episodes when they drop. As always, if you could do me a favor and leave a five-star review, that would be appreciated. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. At Hilltop, the open for business sign is on. And I continue to bring on new clients. So if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how I can help guide you to financial freedom, go to the show notes and click on schedule a call. I offer a free 30-minute introductory call, no sales pitch, just an opportunity to get to know each other, find out what you're looking for, and how I might be able to help. Lastly, the dreadful, scary disclaimer that compliance me to read. Everything on this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion and is not meant to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal financial situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning LLC is a state-registered investment advisor in the states of Missouri and Kansas now, but serves clients nationwide where exempt from registration. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill.